You are listening to the Backstage Pass podcast, hosted by Hannah Tridwell and brought to you by Tommy. Joe Dolman, how are you? I'm very well, Hannah Trigwell. Good. I'm so glad. I'm good. I'm good. For those of the listeners or the watchers of this video, you are an independent musician, artist, songwriter, musical director. Kind of like Jack of all trades, master of none. Oh, Um, come on. Oh, no. I actually, like, I feel like I sometimes spread myself incredibly thin. Yeah. Is the one that you prefer over the others? I definitely would say being the artist in the in the sense of like being the person who has to be the face of things is my least favorite. Right. Um, not not like I, oh my God, I hate being an artist. And it's so <laughs> annoying, like having to be on stage and like people looking at me and stuff. It's, it's not like that. It's just more like I love creating music and I love like, you know, writing songs and producing. And I love, um, especially when it comes to like, you know, like I said, like being an MD and session player and stuff. I love being part of a bigger bigger picture and being part of something it's like a bigger a bigger thing you know so that's where I get my most satisfaction as opposed to like just being the face of it you know yeah what goes into musical direction um it depends on the project I guess um I wouldn't say I'm like massively experienced in it I mean I've been doing it for a couple of years with a, diff- a few different projects but I just think it's like um in a vague layman's terms is like taking someone's music and trans translating it to a live show that is uh accurate to the artist's vision and um do you um, get a lot of notes for that from the artist i mean massively varies actually like some 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 artists are like might as well i might as well not be doing that job like they might as well not pay me because they have such a clear vision of what they want (laughs) but sometimes they just don't want to be the person who has to like sit there and like make the click tracks up and like you know make sure that um you know everything is just mixed right it depends it depends on like the pr- the size of the project massively because like some some bands might be just triggering stuff off like a sample pad like an spd like you know roll and make and they might just have the track as a stereo track or they might be running it out of ableton and they might have like a sound card that's got multiple outputs or you might have like bigger playback rigs that can do like 16 outputs so it means you can mix track to 16 outputs which is like having 16 extra instruments it's easier to mix it because there's more going on but by easier it also can make the the live show vary more because if you've got a different room different sound engineer every night i don't think you'd, you i think you'd have the same sound guy or like you know same same sound engineer on the on your gig if you were at that level because you'd have someone mixing it accurately yeah. every night but it's but tricky like, when you have different sound guys oh and by tricky i mean awful <laughs> Yeah, the, yeah. I, I went straight to the worst. You were like, yeah, tricky, like tricky. being really like being no, like really conservative about it. It's genuinely horrible, isn't it? Yeah. When they start going, do you know what this this sad ballad about like their grandparents dying needs is some crazy echo, and it's like, please put that down. It's like it's like saying to children, like, oh, please put that down. Having your own crew is the best thing. Like not just front of house, like yeah. having your own having a, like my my guitar. I have a guitar tech called Mikey who like actually guitar techs for me in my artist project when i'm playing shows depending on if, if there's budget basically yeah um and he also guitar techs for one of the bands imd for this band called the adelaide's like country pop band um he's there he's the guitar tech for that too well i say guitar tech he's he's the he's just the 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 on the back 
the backline tech in general because yeah. we don't have we don't have a drum tech we don't have the budget for like multiple techs so yeah we he just kind of covers all bases um he really gets put to work on those shows but he's he's <laughs> wicked i've never had like a guitar tech or you know like individual instrument techs i've only ever had um someone do the sound but i think that i think for like maybe two headline tours i've had someone do sound consistently at every venue but the ones where i haven't there's Terrifying. always I just it is truly yeah because you, you just you don't know what the room's going to sound like so you know it's going to be like a case of figuring out when you get there anyway but then usually the venue if they if it's the venue providing the sound guy it's just some random guy that like would rather be watching you know yeah. not necessarily like, like a um into the music you're making just rather be like at home watching the simpsons or whatever sometimes yeah yeah or just in the just in the bar like next door to the venue just yeah like, absolutely yeah it, it's such a tricky one especially on like lower lower capacity tours where the venues yeah. really vary in terms of not just the room but like the equipment yeah. if you're not tour like that's the um biggest thing about like i guess like my job is it like we were talking about my job as an md is like i'm trying to make a consistent show so yeah. like but i ex- the bands that i'm working with in that sense have got like a consistent level of equipment they're going to be bringing to every show in terms of like they'll be touring a front of house desk sometimes and or like at least a front of house engineer that's going to yeah. be mixing the show like we'll have the same playback rig the same drums the same mics the same you know everything on the stage so it's easy to get a consistent show every time. But when you're on that, when you're doing like those kind of smaller capacity tours where like the budget is lower for the, for the shows, Mm -hmm. it means that like stuff has to be compromised. And that's where like you feel very at risk and very vulnerable because you, you hold obviously like you're, you know, I'm sure people listen to this podcast if they haven't like, haven't heard your music and seen you live. Like you are a consistently great performer in the sense that like what you you. do, no, you are, you're (laughs) wicked. Like, and, but, but, what let's what can be the scary thing is that you can't control what the sound guy does. Yeah, it you is. Know? It's so, it's particularly bad when I don't know if you've experienced this like at a live show or a festival, but if you have a, a sound guy who is slightly um, distracted by something, and at that moment in time you need something like you need more more of your vocal in your ears to hear what to hear what your pitches and you you're like you're kind of like yeah. making the yeah. eye signals and then it becomes a when you've got someone who's mixing front of house and monitors at the same time and they're in a field 200 yards away and you're like <laughs> squinting at them in the sun they're just like oh no he just always looks like that when he's on stage yeah. it's like no i'm trying to trying to get your attention you know but yeah hor- horrible you know, yeah. stuff and nightmares have you yeah. had any nightmarish stories on tours that you've done for your artist project um trying to th- i mean I'm sure I have. It's like sometimes Blocking they just trying to blur. Yeah, yeah, block them out. Um, hope, pray the next night is better or whatever. But um, yeah, I've had like a fair few um, kind of car crash moments in gigs where like things have been. What I had one in actually in Leeds. I can't remember what venue it was. It might oh, have been no. like a Porto, a Porto or something. Like in my hometown. It was a Brit- it wasn't Brudenell Social Club. I know that it wasn't there because I love that venue so much. Like, yeah, it's great. Have um, you been to it since it got refurbished? No, they were doing it last time I was playing there. Yeah, it's it's wicked, actually. It's really good. But I can't remember where it was in Leeds, but we had like a nightmare where um, the power tripped out Whoa. in the venue and the desk just like switched off. So for like, whilst the... And I didn't have During a During a song? During a song. Um, 
So, and I was like full band as well. So like there was a lot of stuff to switch off. <laughs> um, but like the light, I was at the lighting rig went off and so did the desk. What did you do? I took my in-ears out and was like, what's going on? Like, I was like, to, we had, we had a, we had my own front of house on this one actually. Um, and they, he was just like, just give me five minutes. So I just like did an acoustic like song. It wasn't a big venue. It was like a hundred, 150 cap. Like, um, I can't remember the name of it now. It's really annoying me, but yeah, I just did like an acoustic song, just like at the front of the stage, got everyone to come around and like be quiet <laughs> for a sec while I just, <laughs> whilst my, my very, very nervously sweating sound engineer was like looking at a switchboard. Like I could see him like in the back, like Nick, there was like a cabinet where all the power <laughs> was right next to the desk. And he was just like scratching his head, putting a screwdriver in, pulling the screwdriver out, scratching his head and then put like perfect timing. As soon as the, so- I like everyone clapped to the end of the like acoustic song, the lights just came back on. Like it was all part of the show. Nice. And I was just like, I was just joking with him afterwards. Like, yeah, if you could do that every night of the tour and we'll make that a part of the show, that <laughs> yeah. would be great. And he was like, I'm not doing that. Like, you know. <laughs> Sounds like it, it had a good effect though, in a way. Oh yeah, it, it worked out. It worked out fine. It was like, think on your feet, kind of what would be good in this moment. You know? yeah. they've, they've definitely not all gone that smoothly. <laughs> right at the beginning when I was first starting out, I definitely pulled my own guitar lead out by standing on it. Classic. And that was not great. <laughs> we've, we've all been there. Yeah, rookie yeah. mistake. Um yeah, that's probably the worst one I can think of, really, like during a song. I've had a lot of moments before a show started where I've been like, the sound is still not, or something's still feeding back, or some, and it's like five minutes till the doors open. And so that's, they, those kind of situations have been kind of stressful, but always rectified themselves in some way, like magically. Yeah. Um, it, all, it always comes together in the end, in yeah, some way. Does. Like, because no, you have to make it, you just have to. You know? Yeah, true. Do do you find like you know, because um, you don't have a manager, right? Like at the moment, no. so so do you find that when you're touring or like playing live shows that you wish there was someone else to kind of take that responsibility? You I mean if you maybe you have a tour manager that comes or just like a, a friend or some like someone in the band or something that like can be a bit of a ball buster in the sense yeah. of like <laughs> yeah. you're gonna make sure this is right by the time <laughs> Hannah comes out here. Like, you know, because sometimes like when you're in charge of the whole operation, it can be like... Whenever I've had like a tour manager or a manager, they've never been like a ball busty type. Really? They've they've kind of like... So like my previous managers have all been very um, business orientated rather than right. musical direction or... Um, you know, kind like, of like li- centered around live touring or anything like that. Yeah, i I've had two. I've had two managers. I'm not. I'm not managed by anybody now. But I had two managers. Uh, the first manager was very like centered around live. Um, he uh, was a booking agent, um, and like, well, he's like a, a venue booker um, and had managed other people. He's not. He can. You know, he un- had an understanding of creating music, but wasn't a musician. Yeah. And then my second manager was very like business centered, sounds similar to yours, but he also was a musician. Like he did play, did play music, um, but wasn't like t- in it, wasn't like technically clued up in terms of like, yeah. like equipment that I might use in production and stuff but he did manage two producers so he learned a lot from oh, cool. from them and having conversations about you know you know recording and and had an, a real understanding of that but in a 
if there was a high pressure situation where it's like, oh my God, this is broke in the middle of a show or <laughs> that like I wouldn't go to him for that <laughs> yeah. in the, in the, in those in those past and I think times. the technology has changed so much as well you know yeah massively. In, in live and in production and so sometimes maybe it's a little bit hard for you know people who've previously been artists or or been musicians who become managers I feel like sometimes it's hard to to know to still be kind of um, in the know about how things work on a technical side because it's so different than it was when they were artists. Or The stuff that happens in a live show now for like a major, set, let's say like a major label pop act is doing a tour now, what that is now versus what that was even 10 years ago is so different in terms of the equipment and the kind of the, the commonly found gear on a tour. Like yeah. I work with... Um, a, g- a good mix of artists who are like young, younger, or like more modern pop acts, as opposed to like some of the one of the artists I work with is, um, or I've like done a lot of touring with, is a guy called Tom Clark, who used to be a front the front man of the band called The Enemy, like indie oh, band cool. from like ten years from like ten. They 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 their first album came out in two thousand and seven, which was like a number one. So that was like the the peak. Two thousand seven to two thousand ten was like their peak. They had like really really good success then. But like they're like an indie band touring with big amps and like very minimal. So they didn't start using track until like album four because they had like a bit more kind of oh, okay. vast, a bit more of a vast live production. Whereas like before it was very like a very raw like indie, as we imagine it should be like kind of energy. And it was like super cool. Um, the stuff that like Tom has taken out on tours that I've been on with him in terms of equipment versus like what I take out on the road as a player in like major label pop acts who are also signed to Warner in 2018, 2019 and 2020 like is like vastly different in terms of what I need. Like if I was going out, I can't imagine Tom was going out with in-ears and taking a laptop, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, and a sound card ready to go to like change bits of track on the road. Yeah. Whereas like, whereas now it's like, you know, so, so different. So it's understandable for managers who have done it previously to now just be managing as opposed to still doing a, a project actively, like for them to fall out of touch with the latest stuff. Because I think it's hard for even artists to keep up with the latest stuff. Like yeah, God, you get, it is. you get, I don't know about you, but I definitely get set in my ways with like ways I record music and the way I, pre- I oh, I'm always trying to evolve, like, you know, my understanding of and using new equipment and, you know, new techniques and whatever, but like, there's only so much you can keep up and then, use that to your advantage i mean if you're constantly yeah. learning the new thing like you know I, I saw like universal universal audio just launched like a new oh, uh, Luna. D- yeah they yeah. launched their new dlw which is like i'm like oh i'm really gonna get on that and i'm gonna get really understand that so i can use it in sessions if it comes up if i'm like working in a studio and like oh we use Luna. i'm like i want to know my way around it but like at the same time i'm like i just really like working in logic and pro tools at the moment and i still yeah. and i use a little bit of ableton but like not so much for like recording like production more like live stuff but yeah trying to you're trying to make yourself versatile without like i said at the start like it's like jack of all trades master of none you're trying to like (laughs) understand all these things but you need to be really good on one of them at least you know yeah diversification's good though right especially when you're independent yeah definitely i think i think it's crucial actually like i think if you can't if you can't adapt to uh the way other people you work with 
work, then like you're always going to hit roadblocks. It's all about communication at the end of the day. Like if you can't, if you can't communicate ideas across to people because you can't put it onto a certain, you know, you can't use certain equipment to, to get those ideas across, then you're never going to get your ideas across at all. Yeah, true. So it can be difficult, but yeah, being, being, being diverse is, is the key a lot of the time. How do you find being your own manager? Um, Sometimes I love it in the sense that like, I don't have to, kind of run anything by anybody but then sometimes I miss I miss running sometimes it's like you know when you do something wrong and you do something like you know maybe when you were a kid you used to like do something naughty and you know you'd get told off for doing it if you'd have told like your parents that you (laughs) were going to do it but like you because you didn't tell them you did it anyway like that's what I'm like with my man like not having a manager now I'm like I probably shouldn't be buying this or like I probably shouldn't be doing this thing for the for today like you know but no one's here to tell me different, so I'm going to do it. And then actually I'm like, no, she's done it. So it's a fine line. But on the whole, like, I, I do enjoy, you know, kind of being being the person steering the ship uh, yeah. solo in the sense. But I have I have an amazing team of people that I work with on a regular basis. I know you do too with, like, um, is it Ben Song, Song Mason? Like, yeah, yeah, my um, producer. And, and, like, to have a good relationship with your distributor, I think, is so important so like when I stopped working with my manager in last April I I was kind of we we ended on really good terms and we're still really good friends so that was cool but I was kind of worried about how I would move forward or if if there was specific things that I wasn't doing that I wouldn't be able to do just myself um and actually the main change for me is just that it's quicker to communicate with different members of my team because I'm not going through somebody else and you know that you know that the uh, communication is going to be as uh, clear as possible because it's coming from your mouth do you know what I mean you're yeah. saying you're saying this is what I feel rather than saying it to a manager and they interpret it yeah in yeah. their own way too I I've definitely found like well actually I've only I've only not had a manager now for like two months Oh wow! Um, so it's kind of fresh, yeah. Um, and I've not been releasing anything, but I'm. I, I've always communicated with my whole team myself a lot, so yeah. that 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 hasn't been a big change in the dynamic of like the way I work with people. I think it has think, to be like that, even if you're yeah. not independent. If you can as much as possible, yeah, I agree. I think I think if you're the person who's speaking to people, then like that it it tells them that it's important that they're spoken to. Because if it's worth your time, then it's like, as opposed to like, oh, I'll just let my manager deal with it or whatever. Like, yeah. I think there's a lot to be said for like it coming directly from the artists. Yeah, you know? definitely. But I, I don't feel like I've come across the the hurdle perhaps of speaking to distributors, but I have a pretty good dis- relationship with like the distributors that I've been using over the last couple of years, like in terms of the people that work there. So I'm hoping that the relationship status stays kind of the same yeah uh in the sense that they still are happy working with directly with the artists because i found that um in my experience of like when i've been like the fly on the wall in conversations with some of the major label and like big indie label artists that i I work with um that the label don't like talking directly to the artist they want to talk to the manager and they like the hierarchy system because it feels like a bit more secure maybe yeah Um, I guess there's so more structure and 
order people, to it. <laughs> people like the structure because then it feels more predictable. But I think yeah. ultimately, like, rec- you know, releasing music and, you know, it being successful isn't predictable mm. unless you are Adele or like, you know, I mean, I think I think when you're on like a, a lower level but again like it's so hard to define what a lower level artist is now because yeah. you know there's people there's people making you know i mean there's people like billy eilish who are making with phineas making number one albums in their bedrooms but there's people there's people who are making like a good living off making music in their in their bedroom like so yeah. you know yeah, but they're still but they might still be defined as a lower level artist because they might not sell any tickets yeah. or to a live show or like they can't you know, there's, there's, everyone's got the different parameters of what they uh, kind of define as a low-level artist. But I think, like, if you've got a good relationship with your distributor, then hopefully you can kind of work towards that together rather than them needing that structure from a manager or whatever to give them reassurance. You know, as long as you can reassure them that you're going to work hard and you're you're doing everything right, yeah. They won't need to hear it from a manager as long as you're like, you know, doing it right, you know. Now I was saying to you off camera, like the thing that I find tricky sometimes is um not having like expert expert advice in a, in a particular field anymore. Cause I used to because I used to have that particularly from in like a business sense. But sure. um but yeah, you know, it's it's definitely doable. There's things that you take on, isn't there? And and most of it's kind of admin y you know yeah. more emails i guess but then is it more or is it just a direct email to the person instead of to the manager it's yeah i think i think that's something i've noticed a lot of in the last 2 months is that like i'm having more conversations with more people than ever because i'm i'm maintaining relationships with people yeah so Whereas normally I might have a, a two hour phone call with my manager and say, we need to get back to this person about this. We need to speak to this person about this. And this person needs to be told that they're going to have to wait. And this person needs to be told that we want to do this and you yeah. know, start putting things. Whereas now I have to speak to all those people directly. So yeah. like that is adding on more work. Um, but I can be sure it's being done a certain way as well. So. I've had a couple of situations in the past year where I've had um I've had to have some conversations that that aren't the kind of conversations that artists would have and they haven't been particularly positive and I haven't enjoyed that. <laughs> like Yeah, I can definitely relate. Like to have a manager there as a kind of um barrier from that side of the industry yeah. and they haven't there haven't been many occasions but on the odd occasion where there's been like a something bad has happened and I've either had to sort it out or or be the guy that's not telling someone off but you know n- not having the nice conversation with someone it's got to be done at some point it's got to be done but I that's the main thing that I haven't enjoyed about not having a manager I don't know how you feel about that I think uh, it's increasingly common that artists are having to have those conversations themselves. Yeah. Because I think it, just because you're a manager doesn't mean you don't feel that hesitation as well. Like I think, yeah, I think, I think like it's difficult to do it, especially and because you want people that a lot of the, a lot of managers say like, um, you know, they, they be the bad guy. So everyone likes you and you don't have to do any of the dirty work sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, and they, you, people maintain their vision of you being this like really nice, super friendly all the time artist. Mm. But like, 
as 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 like the industry is becoming more and more transparent every day with the way we kind of display ourselves on social media constantly like people are becoming you know people aren't just artists anymore they're like influencers at the same time do you know what I mean because they have to like have this constant um it feels sometimes feels like a lot of artists feel like they have to have this constant um uh, presence word? like presence online yeah where where people see everything that's going on and actually like that makes it really difficult for you to separate um yourself from all those different roles so i saw that you were starting up a patreon page i am yeah i'm going to launch it on friday that's the plan tell us about that i do a weekly instagram live on sunday nights and i pretty much always play a new song or like an unreleased song that maybe i've played live at shows that never got released on spotify and i always want to put stuff out um that people can hear along the way of like making new music and making like my first album for example i've only ever put out eps before so um i don't like it when so many songs fall to the wayside and no one ever hears them again other than other than on a live stream or a show so i wanted to do like a a monthly download kind of thing i've put a bunch of other stuff in it too obviously to make it not just like one thing but um the premise is that i want to put out more content and give people more music without having it on spotify um where like it really matters how much it like takes off like i want to make an album that's like majority new and I'll do singles leading up to it. There'll be like three or four songs that come out as singles, perhaps, or maybe three. And then I release singles from that album once that album's out. But I want people like to be able to find a whole album and hear, you know, a whole body of work that's kind of new that yeah. is like what they were, hopefully what they were hoping for too. Um, I think that's because cool. It, but it's, I guess that's a very dated way of releasing music. Well, it... Like we were saying before, you should only do what you want to do as well. You know, if yeah. that's the way you want to release it, then what's the point of doing anything else if you don't want to do that? I think Patreon's great because you can get like constructive feedback on song demos. Yeah. Um, but also it's an extra income stream, which with having to diversify as independent artists is just great, really. I totally agree. I think that building a community of people who genuinely want to support your music and put their money where their mouth is and say like, even if it's a pound a month, like that transaction of saying this is worth more than getting it for free, like means so much to artists. It's not necessarily about, you know, them giving you more money than anybody else. It's like they want to be part of something, a part of a community, part of um, supporting your music. And I think like it's a win-win situation for everybody. If they want more music, then paying a monthly subscription allows you to do that, allows you to create that. Then they're going to get what they want and you're going to get what you want because you're enabled by your community of supporters to do more music, which yeah. is what we all want to do, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think I've seen a lot of people and myself like I have a Patreon page and I I love it because it feels like a more personal social media definitely I'm look I'm really looking forward to doing it I'm actually going to be like doing a blog on mine oh cool as well because I have a lot of things that I have to say about a lot of different and I've got a lot of like stories and stuff I guess as well like and I want to tell people about all the different people that I work with in my little JD 
family i have like a little joe dolman group chat on whatsapp which is like my whole to everyone who works in my project i'm very like i, I involve people in everything you know yeah. not not to like swarm them with stuff but just include people as much as possible and um i'm really looking forward to like sharing a bit more about those people in the blog and like saying what their background is and why they're so amazing basically and like it's going to be fun to kind of invite people into my little world a bit so off camera we briefly spoke about a project that you are launching next year a new project so i guess kind of following on from what we we're just talking about about um lots of music that isn't necessarily representative of your artist project right now in um in like defining what you want to make right now i often find myself writing with lots of different artists and producers and writers and I, a, fr- a good friend of mine, we write together for, for my own music and we write for other artists as well. And we just ended up writing loads of songs together and realizing that we had like a great partnership of something that wasn't, wasn't for me or for anybody else. It was just like a project that we were kind of naturally kind of formed. And I'm launching this project next year. And we were talking off camera about like branding, about how everything is so transparent now. And you, like you said, it's about having that constant presence yeah. online. And It's good that you've got like a place to get your, you know, like some of the songs that aren't necessarily for the Joe Dolman project out. Because uh, I think like that's something that I've found slightly hard. Um, writing a song that I think is... Well, I used to do this actually. Writing a song that I think is great but isn't Hannah Trigwell. And so the first song that I put out that I was like, that's not Hannah Trigwell, but I'm hell. Like, I wrote it, so I'm just going to put it out. Like, I'm just going to put it under my solo name, not start a new thing and just just go with it. Was um, a song called Attention, which came out last year. Yeah, but that's such a banger. And I, <laughs> like, literally such a banger. I remember people being like, what you know some people genuinely were like what are you doing like what's, really what's this like are you? i did not expect that at all i thought that was like <laughs> i didn't think that was like untrue to you at all i thought it was like i feel like really... it's, it's my voice like do, I, do you feel like it's not true to what what you yeah i are think as an I, artist? I think it is true i think that i've I was, you know, I naturally just slipped into singer-songwriter and folky because, as you say, like, one voice and a guitar, there's only so many kind of sounds that you can make like that. Um, but I've always written in a very, very pop structure and always loved pop and always listened to pop over anything else. And so, like, yeah. when we were working on this song and then there wasn't a specific person who it was for, um, you know, subconsciously or, like, just without me like in my head just wrote this song loved the song and then was like but if you know if I've written it then like why shouldn't I put it out absolutely I think if you if you have a clear vision of how something should be yeah maybe you should see it through and for me like the evolution from folky acoustic to pop I was just ready to do it you know um, I think that's what I mean by seeing seeing when that co- song came out. I was like buzzing because a it's like a massive tune, and also like <laughs> it just seemed it just seemed like it's the right thing a, to do. I it think. seemed like such a natural transition for you because yeah. like you know 
we we haven't like known each other like crazy long but based on like your the music you make and the music that you like share in like spotify playlists or like stuff that you put on your instagram story like love this song or whatever like that that attention song is true to your own interests and your yeah, own absolutely. genuine like the the kind of music you like so it's only natural that the music you make not copies what you like obviously but like yeah reflects reflects in your influences do you know what I mean it yeah. happens with me I think it happens with me too like I've put out songs where like I put out a song called the middle at the start of this year that's very not not similar in um style to attention at all but like the it was like a real transition away from acoustic guitar into yeah. something something different that people were like oh my god that sounds so different you know but yeah. really it's never I've never sounded more like me you know yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny that way, way it works out like that sometimes I mean I guess major label artists must feel actually more confined to a genre than independent artists in a way because in whatever the project is when it's been signed or then that's kind of what they're expected to produce right definitely I'm in my experience of um of that with with other artists they've there's been a real um concentration on a specific uh aesthetic a specific just a, a specific package overall in terms of the music the branding the ev- everything that yeah. says this is this is what we signed you to be because we think you're going to be brilliant if you do that but the artist might be like yeah but i did that a year ago and then you eventually signed me and now i'm making this which is way over here and it's totally different now and it's like the artist might not love that as much as they love this new thing over here you know what i mean so yeah because everything's so tra- transparent and it's like, oh, well, they're signed. So their first album is going to be huge because they're going to have all this backing and stuff. Like you have to have a career defining album by your first single now. It's not even the album. People don't wait for the <laughs> album. It's like, you know, your first single has to be absolutely, you know, catastrophically big <laughs> yeah. or, or, you've, or you've flopped. And it's like yeah. so much pressure. But like, imagine, imagine like Michael Jackson never got to album three. Think how many songs we wouldn't have got to if he got dropped after his first album because it wasn't the career-defining album it needed to be. Imagine, like, John Mayer didn't get to Continuum. He just stayed at Room for Squares, and they were like, yeah, it wasn't quite there. Like, it didn't hit the numbers we were hoping for or whatever. Like, I think it's so important to let artists grow into yeah. what they're going to be, and it's it difficult because... It must be because- hard from a business point of view for labels to do that as well in a way it's a lot of uh, yeah they have to put so much trust yeah. in, in the artist to keep and going like time and money and yeah and so you know if they do i'm sure there's a lot of artists that have been dropped that if they'd have just had that one more album or track or whatever would have made the thing yeah you know that one song that that really takes them to higher places but I don't know whether it's as possible anymore because there's so many artists now that are getting signed. The turnover is so much faster, isn't it? Even, but it's the, it's not just the it's not just the turnover of the artists. It's the turnover of the people working in the labels. You know, like yeah. lab, label execs and you know presidents, vice presidents of of the labels themselves are on twelve are on twelve month contracts because God. they're they're having to like top the last person who was doing that job and yeah. bringing more revenue because they're trying to keep their business model relevant because yeah. what a record label's job is massively you know we talk about how much we have to diversify as an artist imagine not being needed to make albums anymore like because you can just do it in your bedroom like they're like now having to massively diversify why they're important and what they can offer in services 
in return for the massive cut they take or like buying the licenses, you know, the copyright for the for the master tracks, you know, like yeah. if all the music's been recorded and produced and mixed and mastered in someone's own time, then what do we need the label for? It's that constant argument, but this is the kind of thing that the labels are having to turn around just as fast as 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 the artists. So it's it's a constantly evolving thing and I like you see a lot of artists and bands. I don't know if you come across this, but I certainly see a lot of artists like hating on their labels and hating on like yeah, or like saying, Oh, <laughs> all labels suck and blah blah blah. It's like, well, they're just doing a job too, you know, they're mm. they've got their own agenda as well and everybody has. And I think like being independent, you can decide how much of that you take in and how much you keep out of your project, you know. Yeah. So and there has to be they're they're always there always has to be compromise. If you like went into a label office and was like, imagine a record label wanted to sign you and you were like, and just before you went in, you were like, Hannah, don't go in there and compromise a single thing. Like you can't <laughs> do that. You have to be able to compromise on stuff, yeah. but you have to choose what you compromise on. You know, you like, yeah. you won't compromise. Say you, you might say you won't compromise on certain things, but you will on others, you know, you know, maybe there's a conversation to ha- like if you want to be a pop act and you want to be played on the radio, you're going to have to compromise on every song on your album being shorter than six minutes. You know, you know, you know, if you're if you're if that's what you want to do, then you're going to have to accept that they're not going to want to sign you because if they're looking to get their artists played on the radio to get that exposure or whatever it is like. Yeah, there's certain there's certain like parameters that need to be met by both sides. I think people do often think that independent artists if they if they've been vocal about being independent hate major labels <laughs> and yeah it, there's a big like association right yeah um and like i don't know for me it's not the case but i i've seen a lot of people who are who have become independent through not through a choice of their own and mm-hmm. because of a miscommunication or you know whatever and whatever's happened with the label they are now independent and therefore now hate major labels and it's you know you don't know what goes on in every single relationship between an artist and a major label but it is a business and I think it's such a a tricky thing because you as an artist you pour your emotions into these songs and you have such a an emotional connection to your project but it's a business at the end of the day and usually like you know, personal, emotional stuff and business doesn't mix very well. My question for you then is, do you think every artist um, who is out there today cares about the songs and the artistic vision as deeply as, as like you and I do? And, you know, like we just talked about those artists who like um, have a hard time with the labels because the, the label might be, trying to change their project or like streamline it or confine it to a certain yeah. thing. But do you think there's artists, do you think that's sort of the case for all artists? Or do you think there's some artists that are like, I just want to be famous and I want to be a great pop star and I want to sing songs? Oh I mean? yeah, so- absolutely. I think, I think there are some cases where it's, you can see it sometimes and and it's really obvious and you know, I've done, I'm not going to drop any names because I don't want to be that guy, but um but I think for those people, it's much easier to compromise in terms of art because there's not as much emotional connection to it, especially if they're not writing it. The less they're writing the music themselves, um, the less they might be invested in 
what it means because if it's not coming from them then it might not be about something they really connect with truly yeah like especially if they don't write i don't think there's anything wrong with not writing music that you release sure I just think it must be it must be easier to make compromises on like artistic direction and stuff if you either don't write it because you don't want to write it but if you just if you're not a writer you know because we talk about like artist versus songwriter a lot in in the music industry um in terms mm. of like you know different roles involved with each of those titles but you know, an artist could be someone who writes every last word of that song and has got their heart and soul on the line for their story and their lives versus another artist who is seen in the, in the limelight by, by, the, by the world in the exact same you know, position as that other artist that cares about every last detail and then next stood right next to them is someone who doesn't care about any of that stuff. They just want to be the singer and, like, <laughs> and they're, yeah. they're both valid. And if, if, you know, if the person is not actually in any way like what they're portraying on stage in real life, that person is a performance artist. There's just so many layers to it. Yeah, there really is. And it's like a, it's a constantly evolving thing as the expectations of what, what it means to be an independent artist, especially in I think mm. I think the expectation of independent artists is getting bigger by the day. Um, you know, oh, like yeah, definitely. you know, how many times have you had a conversation about TikTok in the last two years? And like, <laughs> and and how yeah, many? Yeah, it's it's getting increasingly yeah, intense. It's like I'm, I, I've said like to you before, like I'm not, you know, visual stuff is not my like forte. I don't really feel like I don't enjoy expressing myself in visual content where I'm in it like where I'm viewed in it I don't really care for that side of the artistic display like maybe because I just don't have any experience in it or like I just it might be like a self-confidence thing I don't know but um I just love um making music and creating like I love making album artwork and stuff like that you know but in terms of just on the whole like visual stuff like video content isn't my like set like i don't feel most comfortable there so i find it hard you're gonna give tiktok a minute well this is the thing i constantly like i have an account on tiktok i have 12 i have 12 followers i've never posted a video um so you know (laughs) any day now i could be a viral sensation um you never know you never um, know so i i would love to i'd love to do it but i feel so much that's what i mean about the expectations of an artist like there's so much pressure for me to be viral on tiktok not just do it like mm. everything you do has to be a massive success if you put out a single on spotify it has to be you know a million streams in x amount of days hours seconds like it's just ridiculous how the expectation is so high because yeah. and it's because we can do so much for ourselves which is a beautiful thing that it's like you kind of live and die by the same sword in the sense in the sense they're like you know oh yeah i i write record you know produce my own music with with other people of course as well as doing it by myself like I make my own music videos and like my own artwork and I put, you know, I even run my own promotions company and put on my own tours and I like do, I do so much independently that it's amazing. I have so much control creatively to do what I want, but people know, the world knows that artists can do that now. So they expect you to deliver, you know, even though I've never showed people that I want to be a TikTok 
guy or like do TikTok. Um, you know, people expect me to be really successful at it, even though I've never tried it or have never even shown interest in it. So that's why I steer off it because I'm like, I don't want people to now think less of what I do put my time into i.e. making music etc like i don't want them to them to see like the fail like i'm I'm already predicting a failure of my tiktok success before i've even done it <laughs> but like imagine i put out stuff on tiktok like making videos you know music stuff whatever and it didn't take off the people who did mm. see it and then watched it not take off are gonna then be like they're gonna have less faith in my whole project because they've seen something not take off like you kind of like have to pick i feel like do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like this pick and choosing of like where you put your time and trying to ho- hope that everything you do does well so people believe in it. Like, you know, there's nothing worse than people mm-hmm. seeing like you've been promoting your brand new song for a month. You know, take it back to the music. You're an independent artist. You've been promoting your brand new single for a month straight. You put the song out and no one likes it. People have less faith in your music now. And that's fair enough because they don't like your music or like your music isn't... is, But... It's kind of like you have one chance. But now the pressure is on so many different levels. Like you have to, you know, launch a a TikTok or a YouTube channel or, you know, whatever it is you do. Like it has to be a raging success. Every tour has to sell out. Every, you know, there's, mm. there's such a demand for, well, it's not even demand. It's like such an expectation of things to be perfect because there are people who do it independently, who nail it. Yeah, but it, it, in the same way that like, uh, a a massive superstar is like one in well it used to be one in a million one in a billion mm. now let's say um <laughs> it's it's still that kind of way on the internet you know um for someone to get like viral video after viral video after viral video it's it's the same kind of ratio but people like you say like most people don't think about it like that they're like you know have you consistently put out viral videos on tiktok and if you haven't oh well you you must not be that exactly good. <laughs> and it's like that's the kind of pressure that i just like i cr- i crumble under it big time and it's like i'm not ashamed to say that do you know what I mean like it's i'm i'm okay yeah. like i sleep perfectly well at night knowing that i have my strengths and weaknesses as an as an artist as an independent musician business you know whatever you want to call it you know i think having that like personal insight is so important when you're independent you've got to be honest with yourself if you do absolutely yeah and if you do try and like force yourself to be maybe not even to be good at something but to like something or to enjoy a certain part of something it it's just not sustainable and you just end up making something or doing something that's not good or like not um worth the time that you've put into well it won't be worth it because it won't be genuine so it's never going to connect if it's not genuine like if you don't you know you can genuinely love making stupid tiktoks and that's cool like well i say stupid i mean like just silly funny videos like that aren't maybe as serious as like your music might be you know lewis capaldi like wearing a thousand pairs of sunglasses every day like you know he he genuinely has fun doing that by the looks of it that is quality it is quality content you know quality content you know like so you look at something like that it's like okay he's it's genuinely it's genuine to him because he loves doing it you know it's fun but Hmm. if you don't have fun doing that then don't do it like i think i think and and being transparent with people like people ask me like People mess me like, when are you going to start doing TikTok? I want a duet with you or whatever. It's like, well, I just say to people like, I don't think I am because it's not really my, it's not really my vibe. Like, mm. and I think it's th- weird though the amount of people that do do that out of, like you say, like out of um, a pressure to do. Like, I, I know a lot of YouTubers who 
make videos consistently and they don't really want to do that. And that is just so bizarre. Yeah, I think it's crazy because I'm someone who consistently feels the pressure to make videos but but doesn't. <laughs> and I just have to live with the consequences that I don't have the numbers online that like people who do consider like I think if you put the time into it then yeah you're wor- you you deserve the numbers. And I fully you know, you know yeah. but I don't put the time in so I don't I'm not worthy of the numbers. If you did put the time in then would it even mean anything if you didn't like doing it? I suppose it depends how much you value the numbers, really. Because if it is, like, just for fun and you've got, like, five listens on something or, you know, I've put songs out sometimes where I wasn't sure if anyone would listen to it and a lower number of people listen to it than my average number of people mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's just felt good that it was out. Yeah. And, like, I just love... I loved everything about, like, I loved the song, I loved the artwork, I loved the video, so it didn't really matter. And I think... That is, that to me makes just more sense than doing things for the sake of it. But I agree. I think I, I think defining defining your expectations going into any release of any content, be a YouTube video, a TikTok, or a song or an album, like defining your expectations of what you want to get out of it before you before you yeah. even make it, first and foremost, but also before you put it out like defining your expectations on numbers and stuff like that like i'm I'm not someone who cares about numbers in the sense that like i i don't make music for the numbers but i when it comes to like that that's the thing making music is a separate thing for me because i just do it because i want to do it and it you know you know i'll spend as much time on it as i need to spend on it for it to be right whereas like video you know stuff like tiktok that kind of con- video content that i don't make i feel like i would only be making it for the numbers to kind of match up to this expectation that i feel exists on independent artists um and because i'd be like focusing so hard on that it would probably not work because it wouldn't be genuine it's just it's just like as an independent like i said it's people expect you to do everything because you can in the sense that mm. nobody's stopping you, no label, no nothing, no nothing's getting in the way because you can, you can buy, you know, you can make music on really basic like software. You can film video content on your phone. You know, you know, it's like the eighteen music video Ed Sheeran made was like twenty pound budget. Do you know what I mean it's like, you know, you yeah. know, you listen to like interviews of like Phineas talking about Billie Eilish's album. It's like, oh yeah, I use loads of stock Logic plugins, like you know, and it's like. <laughs> yeah. You know, so there's no that when when that stuff gets in the public domain, it shows people there is no limit to what you can do if you put the time in. But there is a limit you can put on yourself, which is like, do I want to do that? Well, no, so I don't do it. Mm. You know, and it's hard because then you worry about what the consequences of that um, decision will be. You know, previously with your managers that you had, did they kind of try to push you ever into doing stuff like? on socials that you didn't want to do yes definitely i think which and fair enough rightly so yeah i I, it's hard isn't it because like a manager only makes money if you make money as much as you can be like best friends with your manager there's always going to be things that maybe you disagree on if you don't want to do but if you don't do them then potentially you won't make as much money as they want you to make to take that 20% 20% or whatever the sure. cut might be. I think we all have to deal with um, that kind of pressure from managers as well. And and there's been times, you know, 
previously with my former managers when I've felt bad actually for not doing more even though I've done loads of you know maybe I've made like a music video for a song and I've made a lyric video and doing this and that I'm like if it's not done well that's the thing with a manager where I've been like oh, I actually feel bad because they're dependent on this as yeah, well. Yeah, I have a very similar feeling from when I like, you know, because actually my previous manager manager didn't didn't take a cut from me as a musical director or a session player or anything like that. He was just he just yeah. ma- he was just an artist manager. He only managed me as an artist. So if I went on tour for three months with somebody and then went straight into a festival season playing, you know, pretty much every weekend um, for two months across the summer, like. And then and then put out something as an artist. Like he was only getting a cut on that one month out of six months' time, you know. So you, yeah, fe- I feel bad. Tough, like, and I've always like been like, maybe you should be taking more. But then, but I, but the reason I had them was to push me as an artist. And then there's like a compromise to be made. Yeah, you know? it's it's so. Yeah, but absolutely. it's good that you know it shows that you actually care about the people you work with when you actually feel bad. You know that yeah that like you're. <laughs> yeah. You understand that they are, you know, investing in you with their time and effort. And you mm. feel they deserve something for that, which obviously they do. But you also have to be honest with yourself about what you want to do with your life and your time, you know, and your career. Yeah. So it can be a, a, a very tricky balancing act, which is all under the public eye, you know. Pre-internet, a lot of things didn't used to be if if you were playing in a certain city then that city would know yeah but maybe the other cities wouldn't and if that city didn't sell hardly any tickets then only that city yeah. would know <laughs> but now everywhere you know if you have if you have a gig that doesn't sell particularly well or whatever it is in a particular area then that's like that's common knowledge now yeah, isn't it exactly everything everything's common knowledge now almost it feels unfortunately we are out of time but I want to say thanks so much for speaking to me today and ask you a question. What is your track of the week? Oh, good question. Let me pull up Spotify. Ah, that you need to know it off by heart. No, it doesn't count. I'm, I'm going to cheat. <laughs> I'm categorically cheating. Uh, my track of the week this week um, is I'm Lonely by Luz. That's probably my track of the week this week. It was between that. Oh, I do It was like between that. that and a song called Older Than I Am by Lennon Stella on a new album that came out on Friday, and I really love that album. So Lennon Stella is a singer from Nashville, yeah. which is incredible. Definitely recommend people to watch that on Netflix. Is it on? I think it's on Netflix. It was on ABC, yeah. I think, in, in, in the States, but I think it's on Netflix okay. now. And then my final question, what is the best lesson that you've learned so far in your career without it sounding really cynical no one will care about your music as much as you do and I don't mean that in like a and it's really sad that that's the case it's more just like (laughs) be be aware that everyone has their own agenda and what I think the positive side of that is that because everyone uh, has their own agenda you should be grateful for when people care about your thing because they've got their own thing they're caring about as well you know their own their own like vision of their own direction of their career so if someone puts their time in to help you with yours like you should be super grateful for that and never take it for granted yeah nice thanks joe pleasure thanks for having me see you soon when the world starts spinning again
Thanks for tuning in to this episode. Be sure to hit subscribe and leave a comment to let us know what you think. And I will see you next time on Backstage Pass.